Hello, thank you for joining LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. I am here today with Jesse McGill, Curriculum Development Specialist with APACN, to discuss the challenge nurse assessment coordinators face in explaining the complexity and breadth of their role to others. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks for having me, Amy. I know that we've both worked in long-term care for many years, but for me, it wasn't until I actually worked as the nurse assessment coordinator that I fully understood what that position entails. How would you explain the nurse assessment coordinator position to a brand new director of nursing? That is a great question, and I feel the same, Amy, that I didn't really understand everything that the NAC was actually responsible for until I walked in their shoes. And one of the ways I've found to really start explaining the concept of the NAC, and when I say NAC, I'm meaning the nurse assessment coordinator or that MDS nurse in your building, is to compare it to filing taxes. I know that sounds a little bit silly, but there is some great similarities there. So the MDS is a required assessment, just like you must file like the 1040 form in order to file your taxes. So every year you have to file your taxes for the previous year to report your income, your credits, and and to figure out what your tax return is or what you owe for taxes. Now, when you think about the MDS, this is a form that we have to fill out to show the care that's needed to care for the resident. And now imagine, going back to the tax form, that you need a 1,000-plus page manual to complete a 51-page tax document. Now that's getting a little closer to the MDS because that's exactly what we do every time an MDS is completed. The comprehensive assessment is a 51-page form, and that manual is over 1,000 pages. So there's a lot of detailed information that the NAC is responsible for to ensure the accurate information on the MDS assessment. And the NAC's overall responsibility when we talk about the nurse assessment coordinator role is coordinating the entire process of this assessment for all residents in the facility if the facility is Medicare and or Medicaid certified. I absolutely love this analogy. In fact, I'll be honest, Jesse. Taxes are so complex that I actually hire somebody who specializes in filling out this form. Almost everyone has experienced filing taxes, so they have a basic understanding of look-back periods and submission deadlines. That's exactly right, Amy, and I'm glad you brought that back because we have look-back periods and submission deadlines for the MDS as well. So when we talk about taxes, I know because that's our, our analogy here, it's for a calendar year. And it's always for the previous calendar year, and you have until April 15th to submit your taxes for that previous year. But the look-back period that you can include on your tax form is only the previous calendar year. So, for example, if you had a child on January 1st of this year, you cannot claim that child on your taxes for the previous year since that event occurred outside of the look-back period. 
that's really the same concept for the MDS, just on a much shorter time frame. So most of the items on the MDS are just a seven day look back period. That look back period is what determines what you can include on that MDS assessment. So for example, if you have a seven day look back period and a resident had previously had been documented for a swallowing problem, but that was before your seven day look back period, you cannot include it since it did not happen within that look back period. So when we talk about the time of period where you have all your information that occurred, that's just like the MDSs. We have this very specific time period of information that can be included on that assessment. And just like on your taxes, where you have to have proof of your earnings and credit, so you have your W-2s and you have your other documents that proves in case you're audited that you completed your tax records accurately, the MDS is the same. We have to have supporting documentation of how we coded our MDS. And that's really where we see the medical record come into play to support what we code on the MDS. And just like taxes, your MDSs can get audited too. And that's called a medical review. Now, one major difference is, is that your taxes are only required once a year but your MDS assessments for the federal requirements are required at least quarterly. So we're doing an MDS assessment on admission every 92 days for that quarterly requirement annually. And then we also have to do an MDS if there's a significant change in status in the resident's clinical condition. So another thing I wanna mention here is the MDS does include all of the clinical information. So just like on your taxes, even if you think something is pertinent to why you had extra expenses, the tax documents only require a minimum amount of information to be able to calculate your tax return. Whereas the MDS actually stands for minimum data set. This is the minimum amount of data that we need to determine the resident's basic care needs. And so it's really the start of a process where we are determining a standard of care for that resident to really set the foundation for their care plan. I want to further explore something you've just mentioned. The MDS is the minimum data set. So how would you explain the NAC's additional responsibilities that turn this minimum data set into a comprehensive assessment? Another great question, and I love that you brought this up because the NACS role is so much more involved than just scheduling the MDS assessments. It's really the entire REI process. Now, when I say REI, that stands for Resident Assessment Instrument, which is the tool required by CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, which tells us what we have to include on that assessment, the care area assessments, and the care plan. So it's that entire process that really mirrors the nursing process. So you have the process of assessment, of evaluation, and then implementing your care plan and evaluating your care. And that's all tied in to the REI process. Now the MDS is the starting point of that. So one of the next responsibility is scheduling the MDS assessments. 
And this is a federal requirement. So as I mentioned earlier, we have to have those MDSs at least quarterly with a significant change and annually. But in addition to that, there are requirements per other payers. So there's requirements for Medicare assessments. There may be requirements for the different Medicare Advantage plans, as well as some states may have additional requirements, such as uh, some states require the optional state assessment or OSA. So it's important that the NAC is aware of all the different payer types in their facility and at the same time coordinates the assessments that are required for each of those residents. Now that's just the MDS part of it. The NAC also has to coordinate the care area assessments in the care plan, which is what makes the MDS a comprehensive assessment. That care area assessment is really the critical thinking piece of the REI process. It is where we take the basic information from the MDS and really make those decisions of whether potential problems need to be care planned or not. And it really sets the foundation of that care plan. So we are coordinating completion dates of assessments, completion of the care areas, completion of the care plan, and really coordinating that entire team to ensure that all of the different team members involved in completing sections of the MDS are competent in the area that they need to assess as well as have completed their assessment, completed their care areas, understand the different care area triggers. So they are really doing that critical thinking piece around the care area assessments. And then as a team, making those care plan decisions on what areas need to have a care plan developed for the resident to adequately take care of that resident. So just to recap, the NAC is in charge of coordinating the MDS, the care areas, and the care plan for each resident, all of which are required by federal regulations. Why is the coordinator of this process so important to the DNS? The DNS is the manager of the survey. And when you start looking at how many survey tags can be a result of a poor coordination of this process, then the DNS usually becomes very involved because we want to have a survey that reflects our facility well. And this is a major process of the resident assessments that can be tagged in so many different ways. So let's just start at the beginning with the basics. Timeliness, that's a federal regulation. We have to be timely with the setting of the assessment reference date for each of the assessments. We have to be timely with the completion of the care area assessments and for the care plan. If we're not timely, we can have a survey citation for not being timely. The accuracy is another item. So we can have the accuracy can impact not only surveys, but it also can impact your quality measures, your accuracy can impact your reimbursement. So when we look at it from the DNS standpoint, and you're talking about not only success on a survey, you're also looking at how quality measures impact Five Star and how the public sees your facility because those quality measures are a reflection of the quality of care you provide in your facility. And as long as that MDS is accurate, that public reporting will actually reflect what's going on in your facility. But if your MDSs are incorrect, then that's not going to be accurately reported to the public. Same thing with your reimbursements, and this is Medicare reimbursement. This is some state Medicaid reimbursements, some Medicare Advantage plans. So it depends on the different contracts and the different state Medicaid programs. But the MDS is often used for reimbursement. 
And so the accuracy of the assessment will show the accuracy of your payment. So it's another thing where you don't want to have overcoding where you could have money taken back later during audit and you don't want to have undercoding where you're not capturing all of the reimbursement that you should. Assessments must also be completed and submitted timely. So this is uh, not only scheduled timely, but also completed timely. And there's survey citations if you have late completions of assessments. Timely completion of assessments also impacts the accuracy of your PBJ, your payroll-based journal, and the five-star staffing measure. So those are all interrelated. When you complete discharge assessments, it takes the resident out of the system. So if you are far behind with completing your discharge assessments, it's going to show in your PBJ census and in the five-star staffing measures that your census is higher than what it actually is. And that shows that your staffing ratios are not accurate and it could show that you're understaffing when it really is an inaccuracy in your MDS completion. It can also impact your quality measures. If we don't have timely completion of those quality measures, residents may stay triggering for longer than they should. We may not capture things when they should be captured. And so it all really is interrelated with the timely scheduling and completion of those assessments. I already mentioned care plans, but I also want to mention that not only can you get survey citations for the timely completion of care plans, but you can also get survey tags for the accuracy of the care plans, as well as following up on the goals, evaluation of the care plan goals, when we talk about the care plan really being the blueprint for how to care for the resident, it's vitally important that that care plan represents what we are actually doing for the resident and that it's updated timely. And when there's changes that occur that are not reflected on the care plan, well, that may not be the sole responsibility of the NAC to update because the care plan should be a living, breathing, working document. It is one of the responsibilities of the NAC to ensure whenever there is an assessment that's completed that that care plan is reviewed and up to date at the time of that assessment completion. So when we look out at the big picture of the resident assessments, because I know I just covered so many different items that the DNS would be interested in, overall, this is a federally required process. The resident assessment instrument process really drives the clinical process that the DNS oversees. Thank you for that, Jesse. You recently wrote an article that was published in the August 18th of PAC and Leader for the NAC newsletter on why NACs should not shortcut cause or care area assessments. In that article, you talked about similarities between the nursing process and the RAI process. I think your explanation of this may help DNSs understand the purpose and the importance of the care area assessments. Could you elaborate? Oh, thanks for bringing this up, Amy. And I kind of mentioned it earlier when I was talking about the cause. But when we talk about the nursing process, this might be something that the DNSs can really relate to. The nursing process is the process of assessment, nursing diagnosis, planning, implementation, and evaluation. It is a problem identification model that is used by the nursing profession. The REI process really does mirror the nursing process. It is an assessment, it is decision making rather than the nursing diagnosis portion. And then it's identification of outcomes. 
care planning, implementation, and evaluation. So there's a lot of similarities. And when you think about the REI process as a problem identification model, that really makes a lot of sense because we're doing an assessment. We're critically thinking through those care area triggers and the care area assessments to determine whether or not there's an actual or potential problem for this resident that warrants a care plan decision or whether or not we will proceed to the care plan. So when we really step back and look at how with the nursing process, we use the nursing diagnoses to start to understand the type of problem we are working with. And in the REI process, we're looking at the care area triggers and the cause to really make that critical thinking process. Both of these are where we draw conclusions from experience and using evidence-based tools and resources. The care area assessment is the evidence-based resource that we use to help identify the type of problem this is for the resident and making sure we are looking at all the contributing factors, all the possible causes. And so we're really understanding the root cause of this problem for the resident and not jumping to conclusions. The CA process often gets shortcuts, and that was one of the main concerns that I brought up in the article that you referenced. And one of the things that I had referenced in the article was an analogy to getting a car fixed. So in the article, I wrote about a nurse who was coming home from a night shift and her car started stuttering and making some different noises. So she was able to get it into the mechanic shop right away. And even though the mechanic could have used his handy dandy little tool to just run a diagnostic report on the car, he's like, oh yeah, that sounds like this and, and attempted to fix one problem. And when that didn't work, he tried something else. And so when we look at this compared to the care areas, if we skip that diagnostic piece, when we skip using an evidence-based tool to really vet through a problem, to understand the root cause of a problem, we can end up fixing the wrong thing or focusing on the wrong thing and having a care plan that does not actually address the main problem. And the care area assessments require an evidence-based tool. And CMS does provide the Appendix C worksheets in the REI user's manual. And these are provided as a courtesy, as an evidence-based tool that nursing homes can use. Now, CMS does not endorse the use of these tools. However, they did provide them as a courtesy and they are great tools to use. However, additional evidence-based tools can also be used. And while a car analogy is just a really great tool to help understand, one of the other things I talked about in the article is a case study of a resident who was having leg pain and it was also diabetic. And without really going through an entire uh, care area assessment of that possible problem, it was assumed that she had neuropathy and had leg pain due to the diabetes. But as a nurse assessment coordinator worked through the care area assessments and really looked through all those contributing factors and possible causes, it was identified that she also had a diagnosis of deep vein thrombosis and had symptoms of a possible blood clot in her legs. And that was immediately addressed with the physician. Now, had she not vetted through that problem fully, this potential problem, potential risk for the resident may not have been adequately identified. And that could have had really significant adverse resident outcomes. So although that's kind of an extreme example, it gets to the heart of 
really using the tools that we have so that we are addressing the right problem at the right time for the resident. I like the car analogy that really helped to show the importance of the cause as part of the RAI process. We have talked a lot about the general MDS responsibilities, but we have not spent a lot of time on what a NAC does to manage Medicare residents. What does the DNS need to know about the NAC's role in Medicare reimbursement? Another great question. In a nutshell, if the NAC isn't doing the job right, you're not going to get paid by Medicare or you're not going to get paid the right amount. So, for example, if the NAC does not know to do the assessments and just does not do an assessment for a Medicare resident, it's likely that you're going to not get paid for that resident. If the assessment's late, you could have a situation where you are receiving default, which is the lowest payment possible. And if the MDS assessment's not accurate, then you can also receive an underpayment or a possible overpayment, which could be recouped later during a medical review. When we talk about Medicare, this is really complex. The current payment model for Medicare is the patient-driven payment model, which has five different case mix adjusted components, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech language pathology, the nursing component, and the non-therapy ancillary component, as well as one non-case mix adjusted component. And all of those components together make the rate for the resident. Function, which uses section GG, is a huge component. It's used both in the nursing component and the PT and OT components. And ICD-10 diagnosis coding is an enormous part of accuracy among this assessment. So really, as a DNS, understanding Medicare reimbursement, being able to invest resources into accurate ICD-10 coding and the accuracy of your functional documentation and being able to accurately assess the usual performance of that resident will be a huge part of accurate reimbursement. A couple other key parts are the resident interviews, the PHQ-9 mood interview, and the patient interview of mental status, or the BIMS. Those are both key indicators for reimbursement as well. Clinical services, clinical assessments, documentation, and I hope any DNS is listening to this really start to have that insight of there's so much that involves their role of overseeing the clinical department that's also a crossover with Medicare reimbursement. The NAC is also often responsible for ensuring we meet all other Medicare billing requirements. So in addition to having the assessments in place, in order to bill Medicare, we have to have a daily skilled need. We have the documentation that supports that daily skilled need, either from nursing or therapy. We have to have physician certifications, and we have to ensure that we meet all of those requirements of Medicare before we can build Medicare. And some facilities may have a Medicare nurse, but other facilities have a nurse assessment coordinator that has to manage all of this in addition to the assessments. Another responsibility may be at the end of the Medicare stay with the issuing of the beneficiary notices that ends that benefit period as well as all the management in between that say from the time the resident admits to the time they discharge, the different meetings they need to have to ensure everything's in place, clinical meetings, looking at the pre-billing checks. So when we talk about the DNS's role in assisting the NAC in Medicare reimbursement, it really goes down to that clinical process and ensuring that 
the clinical services that are provided by the nurses are well documented. And that clinical assessment, especially if the resident is being skilled for a nursing service, that those clinical assessments show the skilled services being provided. Wow, I know you covered that all very quickly, but there's a lot that goes into managing Medicare residents under PDPM. I think you've provided our DNSs with some excellent insight into the role of the NAC. Are there any final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? Oh, thank you, Amy. And I do have a final thought, and that is just how much a DNS and a NAC would both benefit from a really great partnership to really guide the clinical team and what's needed for documentation to support assessments for both Medicare and Medicaid and the other payer types that have those requirements. The NAC should be seen as a key role in the clinical team. Not only are they responsible for the accurate payment for many of your residents, they also show the reflection of your quality outcomes. So through the MDS assessment, those quality outcomes are reflected in the quality measures, they're reflected in five-star. And the NAC is the person who is usually developing or key part of the care plan team that's developing the initial care plan to help care for the residents. So working with the NAC to really have them as a vital role of that clinical team for reimbursement, for partnership with your nurses for supporting documentation, for partnership with your nurses for having that daily skilled documentation, and for the accurate reflection of the cares and services your nurses provide, that would be my goal, just to have that great clinical partnership. And I also just want to mention, and this is so exciting, APACN recently released a new product called MDS Development, a toolbox for the nursing home administrator and director of nursing services. This toolbox is a valuable set of tools designed to help the administrator and the DNS better understand the impact, the extent, and the complexities of the MDS role. With this information, facility leadership can improve collaboration with the NAC to achieve a great clinical partnership. NACs, please share this toolbox with your administrator and DNS, and we will include a link to the product in the podcast description for easy access for all our listeners. Thank you, Jesse. I agree that the DNS and NAC must work together and understand how their roles complement each other and can drive the best outcomes for the resident. Thank you for joining us today for more resources and tools for nurse assessment coordinators. Please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC NAC Chat podcast. Heard the news about how you can improve quality care and increase efficiency with Ability? Ability offers a range of applications to simplify the complexity of healthcare allowing organizations of all types and sizes to spend more time on care and less time manually collecting, analyzing, and reporting data. This allows you to remain in compliance while making data-driven decisions that benefit residents. With Ability, your facility can improve resident outcomes, optimize reporting data, enhance reimbursements, and much, much more. Discover what Ability has to offer at abilitynetwork.com slash apacin.